0: Please be seated. Episcopal priest and blogger Father Tim Shank calls Trinity Sunday that day when every rector in all of Christendom scrambles to find a seminarian to preach, or a curate. Last week, Father Michael joked that I would be explaining everything that you need to know about the Trinity this morning, because, of course, of the notoriously abstract and esoteric ways in which the Trinity has been explained. We can joke about it now, but through the centuries, people have actually lost careers, property, sometimes even their lives, due to perceived incorrect teaching about the Trinity. Hopefully, I won't have to worry about such dire consequences today. (laughs) Although, I have no problem being heretical when my views are clearly correct, and it's the church that's wrong. (laughs) But the Trinity is an area where my views are pretty orthodox. But before I explain it all for you, as promised, uh, I want to take you back to three years ago, an appropriately Trinitarian number, to when I was still an intern and doing my ministry study year at Church of the Ascension in Sierra Madre. It's a moment that I'll never forget. About a week after I started that internship, a 16-year-old member collapsed suddenly while watching TV at home and fell into a coma. The rector at that church, Father Michael Bamberger, had done more than due diligence and visited the hospital every single day since Ryan had fallen into the coma. So I was surprised when on Sunday morning, he insisted on trying to squeeze in a few minutes in between services to go see Ryan again because the family told him that they thought he was gonna be coming out of his coma that morning. Father Bamberger's training style is to have his interns shadow him and go wherever he goes and watch everything that he does. And so he grabbed me after the first service and said, you're coming with me, and we drove down to the hospital. And I was thinking, this is ridiculous. We're only going to have, like, five minutes at best, and the kid probably isn't even going to be conscious yet. This is a waste of time. But when we arrived and stood in the opening of the ICU, Ryan was indeed awake. And the moment that he looked up and saw Father Bamberger standing there, they both instantly began weeping. I didn't know either of them at that point, but I could see how meaningful it was for the two of them to lay eyes on each other at that precise moment in time. It was clear to me that there was more going on than just whatever relationship existed between the two of them. Father Bamberger represented the whole congregation that Ryan had grown up with, present in that hospital room with him and his family in that sacred moment when it became clear that he was going to survive, and he had his whole life ahead of him. I felt like I was on holy ground, and I was grateful to be there. Then we rushed back, barely in time to vest, for the second service, and I got to watch Father Bamberger tell the congregation that Ryan had woken up, and that was a pretty great moment to see as well. That whole experience was the Trinity at work, and it was the furthest thing from an abstract concept. It was real and it was potent. Here is all you need to know about the Trinity. The God that we worship exists only in relationship, in an eternal communion of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so that means that we cannot be Christians alone. Because if you do not experience life life, lived in relationship with your community, you can never really know Jesus. You may follow his teachings, you may be a wonderful person, but you won't be a Christian, or at least not a Trinitarian one. And that would officially be a heresy. It might not cost you your job or your life but it will cost you the experience of being fully human. That moment in that hospital room was a Trinitarian experience. And if you could have been in that room as I was blessed to be, you'd be able to explain what's important about the Trinity to anyone without having to resort to fancy or obtuse theology. In fact, you didn't have to be in that room because if you've ever cried with a brother over his sorrows, or rejoiced with a sister over her good news, you've had a Trinitarian experience, an experience of being in holy community with God and with one of God's beloved children. On the secular calendar today, of course, is Father's Day, a good excuse to reflect on the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. But in some churches, including my first parish, the Trinitarian formula, which Jesus uses telling his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not even used anymore due to its masculine language, which some interpret as being patriarchal. I absolutely support the affirmation of the feminine qualities of God, and you may hear me sometimes address God as both mother and father. But it's a mistake to throw out the language of God as Father altogether. Because there's a particular kind of love and blessing that you experience when someone that you call Father drops everything to rush to the hospital to see you with his own eyes and know that you are okay. And I hope that you've all had experiences like that, either with your own fathers or with father figures in your lives or in the church, to feel that resonance of that image of God as Father. Today's Gospel lesson comprises the very last words of Matthew's Gospel, with Jesus saying that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That really isn't what we want to hear. We hate authority. It's become a proud American trait to resist authority and we certainly never willingly give others authority over us, we don't want the authority figure Jesus. We want the buddy Jesus, the Jesus that's just like us, only nicer. (laughs) That's certainly an aspect of who Jesus is for us. But if we leave out the concept of Jesus as an authority figure, we miss a huge potential for our relationship with God. Think about how every year when Christmas rolls around and even the most cynical people, people who otherwise wouldn't be caught dead in church any other time of year, come because it does something to their hearts to hear the story of the baby Jesus in the manger and to realize that God, the ultimate authority figure, The creator of the entire universe, as the beautiful passage from Genesis today reminds us, that authority became one of us, and indeed one of us at our most weak and vulnerable, a baby. And it did something to my heart to see an authority figure rush out to see a beloved member of his congregation because he had the authority to bring the love and concern of that whole congregation into the room with him. But by no means does that type of authority belong only to men. When I was spending my junior year in college studying in Paris, at one point my scholarship, my work study, and my loan money all ran out at once and it looked like my only option would be to drop out of school altogether. I was in a foreign country, desperate, and had nowhere to turn. But I had a teacher who hired me herself on the spot when I told her my situation, guaranteeing me enough work to live on and stay in school. She also mentored and encouraged me and was a mother to me at a time in my life when I needed it. She was an authority figure, and she used her authority to help me when it would have been a lot easier for her to just let me get by on my own. And I think that's a big part of what it means to be a father or mother to others, is being able to use our authority to reach out a hand and help them along. The language that we use specifically in church of father, mother, sister, brother, reminds us that we have a relationship that goes much deeper than being members of an organization together. Like it or not, we are a family. And calling someone father or mother conveys a depth of relationship much deeper than a professional title like Reverend ever can. Almost all of us will be in a position of authority over someone else at some point in our lives, whether it's a parent over a child, a teacher over a student, or a supervisor over an employee. Being in a position of authority is a gift from God. And in return for being entrusted with that authority, we are required to exercise it in the same way that God would, by lifting up the lowly, the powerless, the left out, the weak, by stretching out a hand to help someone, going out of your way to be a sign of the loving presence of your community to someone who needs it. That kind of life-giving and affirming authority is the same through which God created the heavens and the earth and all that is. On that authority, the authority that is wielded by the Father and ruler of all the universe, we can trust that when his Son says to us this morning, that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age? There's nothing abstract or esoteric about that at all. We can trust that it is simply and authoritatively true. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.